Jeez, don't get get that thing out of here. This is not Mac user space. <laughs> you saw that? Uh, whoops. Whoopsie. <laughs> yeah, I'm so... Only uh, I'm only kidding. No, it's fine. I'm telling you, we're going to end up with Mac user space one of these days anyway, so... Um, I mean, got to have I guess one. if I had to transition to something, that might be the way to go. Uh, yeah, uh, because Windows 11 is now going to force... The online, online login. login. Mm-hmm. And that's happening for Windows Pro now. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Which for my work Mm-mm-mm. stuff is fine because I'm logged in online anyway, right? right? Yeah. But uh, for my home stuff, no thanks. Yeah, well. Which is why I don't have yeah, it at well, home. Well. I don't have it at home. And, th- and, that's why, yeah. and that's why you just uninstall Windows 11, use the same key, and then just reinstall Windows 10 and ride that into the sunset of 2025. Which is a ways out, so I mean, you got a little time. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, this it's three years. You, you're good. It's or, a while. Or you could just install Linux and be done with it. Coming up on this episode of Linux User Space. Leo stores it away. We feedback safely. Tips for your Slackware. All it takes is 15 minutes and we have something awesome for you. Our app is built on clouds. And welcome to Linux User Space. I'm Dan. And I'm Leo. We've got a little uh, way back, I guess, if you will. You, you, we you, do. Were, you were reading our email and, uh, well, you read it, I guess, back in October. Yeah, so this was, yeah, back in October of last year, uh, we got an email from John G. That, uh, that basically said he'd gotten a new drive and he, wanted, he was uh, planning on, or that he used it. Uh, really enjoyed it, planned on recommending it to everybody, and that kind of snuck its way into the email to us. And, well, wouldn't you know it, as I'm looking around the internet to buy a drive, I'm looking at the Samsung QVO, because this is for, oh, yeah. this is going to be for storage. This is not boot drive or system drive, or, mm-hmm. you know, even in that case, I don't even really know that you need crazy fast stuff, because nah, f- you I just want like it to be ed- not terribly slow, too. Right. So anyway, it's a storage drive. I'm using it to replace a 500 gigabyte Western Digital Black. Okay. This is a spinning drive. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a good drive, but yeah, spinning, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but this drive is 10 years old. Oh, geez. It is old and hasn't skipped a beat. Uh, The only thing, (laughs) yeah, the only thing, the only complaint I would have about it is that you can hear it spin up Mm. and I'm just not used to that anymore. So uh, 500 gigs, it's getting kind of small, kind of cramped. I'm, I've got about 50 gigs left on it. Um, some of it's junk, so I end up sorting it out and everything. But mm-hmm. um, I decided to buy a one terabyte drive SSD of some kind. And so, like I said, looking at the Samsung QVO one terabyte, which is about $100, I was looking at the Crucial MX 500, I think is the model number of that, uh, one terabyte, which is about on par to the QVO. And I remembered. Wait a minute. I remember this one time 
Somebody hmm. told me about this drive that was really, really good, and he was yeah. going to recommend it. Now, John, I hope this has not changed in the past four-ish, five-ish months, but because I was in the market, I decided, well, I might as well try it. And lo and behold, it was like $79. That's not bad. Which gave me pause, right? No drive can be good. One terabyte at $79. Uh, but, but I... I took a chance. The The ratings were good. The reviews were good. And the thing that pushed me over, and I think we talked about this in the episode where we talked about that feedback, SK Hynix, they've been around for like 40 years. Really? These people have been making your memory chips the whole time. Okay. So if you look, if you pull out some memory out of an old desktop that you bought at Goodwill or some secondhand shop, you pull it out, odds are you're going to have a RAM stick, and on the individual black chips yep. itself, it's going to have two, one of two names, Micron. Yep. Yeah, Micron I know. That's very popular. Right. Or SK Hynix. That's the no other name that shows up on those sticks of RAM. Nice. So it's not like these guys are just you know, popping up out of nowhere and saying, hey, guys, we make good discs. They've been around. These people have done memory for decades. Which makes total sense when you start talking SSD or NVMe because they know memory. Exactly. And and that gives me a lot of confidence in their DRAM cache. So mm -hmm. I said, the ratings look good. Got a recommendation from John. And then here's the other thing that I saw. The 600 terabytes written endurance that's a lot that's a lot of writing there is no other uh consumer available drive <laughs> that will give you that type of endurance and i'm using this as a storage disk a scratch disk this is where the videos go i'm writing massive chunks of data all the time every two weeks really right and then and then a couple of times in between but i need that endurance so 600 terabytes. The the Samsung at one terabyte, I think, was 300 terabytes. Not like I would ever reach either of those numbers. Well, maybe, <laughs> but we're, we're talking double the endurance. And if that turns out to be true, I'm going to be very happy with this drive. Yeah, no joke. And five-year warranty. The QVO wasn't going to give you that. No. The, the Crucial MX would. Uh, the Samsung Evo would, but not the QVO that I was looking at. So the five-year warranty gave me additional um, confidence. And then, and then 1.5 million hours meantime before failure. <laughs> that's, that's like, I think I'll be dead before that happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, our grandkids might notice it, but. You know, how cool would that be, right? Like one day I just popped this drive out of the machine and I'm like, you know what? It's going to be my time capsule. And then I drop, drop it into a fireproof safe. If only they lasted that long, yeah. Well, right, and so <laughs> as long as the data doesn't deteriorate or something like that, then, you know, I hand it down, and then, uh, you know, like, my great-grandkid looks at it and like, what is this? And then, you know, SATA had been dead for 30 years, so there's no way to use it anymore. But, you know, you'll have the disk, and the data will be there, technically. <laughs> right. I, I think you should put it on LTO tape. I, see, right? I mean, tape's still around. It's been around. It is around. It's still very popular. It's not going anywhere because it's so cheap. Lasts a long time, though. Oh, yeah, it does. So either way, I pulled the trigger. I got this one terabyte drive. I installed it. And you know 
scared the crap out of me because the first thing <laughs> I did, I was on on Windows. This was my mistake, but I was on Windows and I was just going to format it XFAT so I could use it in, you know, everywhere and formatted it, uh, started moving a few files over to it and, uh, you know, open up File Explorer, take a look at it. Some of it was music um, that had uh, cover art. Right. And okay. Windows likes yeah. to do that thing. Well, all pretty much all desktops do yeah, that yeah, thing yeah. where they show you the cover art. And like the whole listing of files went away and slowly, like one by one, they populated back. My first thought was, oh, this drive is trash. Oh, no, I'm going to have to send it back. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm looking around. I'm looking around, doing some more operations. I go back to an original uh, a drive I already had in the desktop that I knew was fine. And it started behaving like that, too. So my panic was immediately alleviated, and I thought, oh, it's because I'm using Windows. And, well... Well, that's a, uh, that's yeah. a good thing to, you know, blame it on. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, well, after I rebooted, it behaved. So, well, there we go. Yeah, I have a sneaking suspicion uh, Windows gave me a slight heart attack. And uh, it's reason number 655 to not use Windows. But, you know, hey, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so so far I'm happy with the drive. I'm using like 300 gigs of it. It's just chugging along nicely. The SSD to SSD transfers are blazing fast. Nice. Um, the if you use Crystal Disk Mark on uh on Windows because I was on Windows, um, the benchmarks actually live up to what is what on read? the manufacturer page. Nice. It's like uh, uh 530 or 540 read and 500 write. And I mean for a for a SATA SSD. That's that's as fast as it goes. That's as fast that's, as that's SATA goes. SATA goes, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it it does it, and I'm very happy with it. So, John, I took a chance on it, and I think I love it. So I know it took me like five months to to make good on the, I think I'm going to get one of these. But I, <laughs> I actually got one of these, and I'm very happy with it. So thanks for the recommendation. And, uh, yeah, we'll see how this drive fares over the next um, 11 months once we hit a year. Yeah, so that's cool. That's that's really great. Thanks, John, for you know belated thanks, I guess, for your re recommendation. And uh, Leo finally pulled the trigger on that. Yeah, glad I did. All right, uh, next we got a feedback item. Um, this is from Hacker Defoe. He says, uh, "Hey there, Leo and Dan." Episode 216 was interesting as always. Really enjoyable and informative. Kudos. Hold, I want to. I want to pause for just a sec. Sure. Um, so it turns out we actually covered this email. We did last last I'm practiced episode. Up. I'm practiced up. Yes, but for time. And by the way, this is where the name of the episode came from. XXLMX. The episode it 17. Is. It was called that because when we looked at the the length of the show when we included the email talking about this feedback oh, yeah. and everything it was massive the whole show was going to be like two something hours long and well we couldn't have that so we had to find some things to cut so that as well as quite a few other things got cut out of the show but anyway i just wanted to segue for a minute to say we never really forget about any of the feedback we we don't mean to yeah, sometimes we just can't cover it in in a particular show. So anyway, continue on, Dan. Honestly, that's why we do these shows in between is to mostly cover the feedback that we don't have time to cover when we do a distro. Because when we do a distro, it really consumes most of our time. So I think the next one will be no exception to that, honestly. <laughs> nope. Anyway, 
He says, a GNU Linux is inherently safer than other operating systems um, unless and until the user tries to many weird things. Well, yep. Chances of infection via malware and virus are minimal. I'd advise a few things in general that will make it more secure in theory. Use some browser extensions and mm -hmm. uBlock Origin, Privacy Badger, uh, Decentralize. Those are those are all excellent. Um, uBlock Origin is is probably one of the best. I would say we we recommended this. Um, maybe it was the last topic episode, so maybe in sixteen, where um, um, we were talking about just how to stay safe on the internet in general. Yeah. And I know I brought up uBlock Origin because it is the absolute. I, I think if there's no other nothing else that you do, uBlock Origin is probably going to be the the yeah. one stop shop for as about as safe as you can get in one add on. It's going to help. It's a pretty good one. Um, the other one I use um, or have used in the past is not necessarily a blocking thing, but it, it does give you a rating on, on the page. So at least you have oh, an idea there. Like a safety rating or something. Yeah, like the DuckDuckGo uh, extension. It'll give oh. you a, a grade based on how many trackers and things like that are, are on the page and whatnot. Oh, so I, I was using the DuckDuckGo browser. That's what that letter in the <laughs> uh, in the URL is. Yep, up there at the top. I use this on iOS, mm -hmm. and uh, right to the left of the URL, where normally you would see like a lock or a shield mm -hmm. or something like that, uh, they have a grade, and that yeah. grade directly corresponds with how how dirty the website is. Yeah, how, gr is how great as, your website is, yeah. Yeah, you got like 700 trackers on there, buddy. You're getting an F. Yeah, so. <laughs> or at least a D anyway. Um, yeah. So that's that's pretty good and handy, too, even just to let you know. Um, so those are those are all great. The browser extensions. Um, the other one we talked about was um, uh, Glory. Was that was that it? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so Glory, Glow was Glow the browser. Yeah, one of them. One of them was the browser. One of them was an extension. Anyway, that was really good too. Um, it also did some some blocking stuff. But somebody said, and I don't know how true it is, some of that phone home stuff kind of had some telemetry associated with it. So I'm not sure about that, but um, definitely uBlock Origin is a good one to to keep things at bay glow is the is the search engine all by ghostry by the way we, we recommended ghostry that's before the, that's the that's the one so ghostry is the browser extension dawn is the web browser glow yep. is the private engine search right, so right, right. akin to DuckDuckGo. yeah yep that's it thanks leo uh-huh and decentralized to, to derail even more sure uh i i didn't know what this add-on was so i had to look it up and this is this is actually kind of right up my alley because the web for I was going to say for better or for worse but the web for worse for yeah, worse definitely is worse. is becoming the antithesis of the web it's mm -hmm. being consolidated down to CDNs to yes. Cloudflare and any any other any other company that says oh we'll we'll mirror your data all over the world to make yep. your searches and everything else go really 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 fast mm -hmm. well that's great and all but that kind of defeats the purpose of having a decentralized web yeah. so decentralize is basically just blacklisting all of these cdns and going okay. directly to the website and that allows you to avoid uh, using CDN. So this is more of a philosophical stance, sure. I think. But but generally, though, I mean, the web was always meant to be decentralized. The web was, I, I don't think anybody envisioned when when the web was just getting its start that, um, you know, everybody was going to be using Cloudflare. 
to get to every website like ever. Well, I guess originally the web was connect on demand sort of thing too. So well, that's even more decentralized, true. right? I mean, no. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you connect to your out, outskirts, if you will, on mm -hmm. demand. So yeah, very decentralized. Cool. Well, that's a good one. I, I didn't know about that. And that makes a lot of sense. Sometimes those CDNs can throw uh, wrenches into the works. So, well, um, just wait till we talk about DNS in a minute, and I'll tell you about some wrenches. So, here's the next thing that he recommends: is uh, use Cloudflare or other DNS services. Um, and he gives a link for the Cloud Cloudflare uh, families, uh, you know, link, um, and that basically will block malware and uh, you know known bad sites. So, so I, I did have a look in this one, and it turns out one 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 one, the main Cloudflare DNS, mm -hmm. doesn't do any kind of blocking of not. any kind. Um, but if you want the blocking malware and you want to go with Cloudflare, it's one 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 two and one zero zero two, as opposed to being instead of two, it's one. Right. Um, but yeah, so if you want the malware blocking, you got to go with number two. The other thing uh, he recommends is use DNS over HTTPS. Use that in your browser. So that's a browser approach. Um, mm -hmm. And Firefox was the first browser to have this baked it in. It was. And I did go and look on everything but Chrome and Chromium. Um, there is a way. So in Firefox, um, well, yeah. it's, it's, it's under general. I, so I was looking under privacy and security, and I right. think it was Aris that was like, no, yeah, it's not under general. general. No. I'm like, why are you putting it there? Um, Brave, um, it's yep. under privacy. Um, Edge, it's under privacy. But curiously, Vivaldi doesn't have a easy setting toggle for it. You have to do that in flags. So you have Vivaldi, to go to the flags, yeah. Whatever flags. But it's still doable in everything. So which means it's doable in Chrome and uh, Chromium, but I don't know if there's a toggle for it or not. Yeah, I don't know either. It's not easy um, or as easy. So yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. Um. So that's the browser approach. Or he also recommends, you know, using a system-wide advert malware blocker. There's plenty of tools out there, but he'll plug a script of his, and I'll have a link to that. It's on his GitHub page. So uh, that's there as well. Um, a lot of people use um, Pi-hole, which is, is a common, oh, yeah. common thing to do DNS blocking. Um, that would be obviously a, a home setup, you know, home network setup. And, and you could do a whole home network using that. As far as DNS over HTTPS goes, um, the entire reason that you would want something like that is just simply that um, you don't want anybody between you and the recipient of mm -hmm. your DNS request to be able to look at the request itself because DNS by default is unencrypted. Mm -hmm. So that means that if someone could read the wire, your ISP, they yeah, would they be able to uh, dissect every DNS query and see which domains you're trying to resolve. Um, now, you know, you, you're getting a little tinfoil hatty. Um, but they, but, like, they have a vested interest to do that, Leo, because, like, let's say your um, ISP is also your, your local television, you know, they're, they're giving you, you know, your television, too. Oh. And um, if you're streaming those things, they're probably looking at where you're going so they can give you targeted ads. Oh. And so okay. even if it's not just targeted ads at you, it's targeted ads at your neighborhood, if you will, because they can keep track of trends that are going on uh, for your whole neighborhood, not just you. Wow. That's kind of like some kind of 
federated learning of cohorts or something, mm-hmm. right? They love those numbers and they're going <laughs> to oh, collect boy. them where they can probably. So, yeah. Um, you know, honestly, they're all into advertising and that is where all the money is, so that's where they're going to uh, they're going to they're going to collectively pool all that stuff. So, it's kind of gross yeah. when you think about it that way. Um, so oh, wow. yes, if you can bypass all of that and just send encrypted traffic onto your DNS lookups, um, then your ISP doesn't see that. Good point. Good point. It's also probably good if you're out and about, even if you're on a VPN, um, and but you're connected to someone else's network, probably not a bad thing to be able to, uh, you know, encrypt as much as you can in case something does get past the goalie. Right. Um, so those are just my recommendations. And my that's that's my ultra tin foil hat right there. Well, I mean, you made a good point. I don't know how tin foil hatty it is anymore because I mean I mean it's out there. If it's true, it's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I do use uh, DNS over TLS here, um at, at my router level. So mm-hmm. everything that leaves here um goes out and uh gets encrypted. Nice. The other one that is popular is AdGuard. AdGuard yes. is, is, is pretty good and easy to set up. I think You can, Aris, you can just snap install that, can't you? You can. And I think yeah. that's, that's actually one that Eris uh, really is in love with. And it, it, it is easy to set up once you get it running. I, I did some testing on it, and it's, it's very good, I think. I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's an easy one to set up, and it gives you a lot of options. So you can do custom lists, if you will. On a, in addition to the ones that you can pull down, so you can add things that you know are good or know are bad, and just put That's them in cool. the list. Yeah, the the main thing for me is I need to be able to quickly go into whatever interface is available to me and white or blacklist a particular mm-hmm. domain. Um, I know Pi-hole for a while. You can do it. It's it's a lot harder. Right, but I think now Pi-hole has made it easier to do. They get it a little better, but yeah. But one thing I fell in love with uh, in in Pi-hole is their uh, their the tracking statistics web page yeah. that they offer you. Edgard has that too. It's so pretty. I yep. just like watching it. I just I wanna I wanna frame that on the wall and then just let it auto update throughout the day and just because again I think y'all know this by now I like blinky lights. Mm-hmm. I, I like dashboards, so I'm right there with you. And that's a dashboard with blinky lights, and I dig <laughs> it. So that's that's really good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Little graphs, you know, little little pie graphs and stuff like that. Yeah, you you got me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the cool thing about that is, like, if you have any, you know, self-hosted stuff, you can add the DNS entries for those things in in your AdGuard yes. or or Pihole or whatever, and that that helps you get to those things really easy too. So you don't have to worry about it squirting out the internet. Yeah, yeah. The the thing about that is, I would have to because I do want to do Pihole again or mm-hmm. some some kind of DNS like that. Um, but I would have to take them off my router and then put them into Pihole or forward to my router, and that just gets a little convoluted. But you know, I mean, it, it works. It works. So all those are great things, I think, to help uh, increase your security and uh, reduce your vulnerability to bad malware and things like that. So Hacker Defoe goes on to talk about uh, Apostrophe. Looks like a useful app for sure. He says, personally, I use whatever text editor at hand for Markdown. But in my opinion, the best open source Markdown has to be Zettler. And uh, Mm -hmm. give it a go and let me know what you think of it. 
and he gives a link for that. And uh, yeah, we're going to do that, I think. I don't know, unless you've done it already, Leo. I have not actually tried it out. I mean, because when you when you pull back a little bit, I think all Markdown editors are very similar. They are. But it does look It did nice. look good from the webpage. I did look at that and poked around a little bit. Haven't had a chance to install it yet, but I will. One of the things that I think is really important to to point out about this, or at least by default, is Zettler does a mixture of yeah. Markdown and the prettification of the Markdown, right? So in most editors, you have two panes. On the left-hand side, you have the Markdown, basically mm -hmm. the code or whatever. And in the right-hand side, you have the pretty preview of what the Markdown is actually going to look like if you were to save it in a PDF or something like that. Now, Zettler, much like NextCloud, mm -hmm. wink, wink, yes. um, <laughs> does this pertification and markdown, and they smash it together all in one, uh, mm -hmm. in one pane. So you don't have to split pane it. It, it very much is, um, you know, you wrap something up in like, like double asterisks to mean bold yeah. or something, and you, it, it bolds it for you right, right. there, but it, the markdown doesn't go away. So it is very efficient in that way. So, man, it looks nice. It does all that to say that it, it, it looks nice. It's a very good looking editor. I agree. Um, mm, It looks good. Yeah, it's not uh, quite what you see is what you get, but it's uh, really close and it gives you an idea of how things are going to shape up when, when it finally gets produced. Right. So, I, I do like it. I think it looks cool. I'm definitely going to try it. Uh, he says, regarding Audacity and telemetry, I think had only 10% of its users donated regularly towards the project, it would have still been an independent project. Telemetry is everywhere, even in open source projects. The way I see it is the PR department of Muse Group did a bad job in the first place, and Muse Group is relatively small and hence an easier target. I will totally agree with the bad PR stuff. <laughs> I think we all can on that one. They, they botched that up a little bit. However, if they'd come out a little earlier and said, we're doing this, um, I think people would have been more receptive. Not everyone, but it would have been received a little better. Well, the, the hardline telemetry folks would never be pleased if, um, right. if there was any telemetry anywhere. But I think a lot of the people that... Um, kind of took that and ran with it, are mostly indifferent to the telemetry stuff. They just didn't and want think, to know it was coming. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think I think very much it was more a problem of the way that it came out rather than there is telemetry. Now, there was yeah. a mix, but the, the bigger cries seemed to me to be the... Um, just not, not knowing. Yeah, just yeah. yeah, just a not so great way that it was that it was handled, kind of slipped in there, and then they announced it, and then it was like, whoa, yeah. I think having a way to turn it off uh, is really important. I can see some value in collecting some of those things, especially as a developer. Most assuredly, when it comes to bugs, I mean, knowing you know what people are experiencing and being able to get their machine data or at least some of it when they go to submit a bug is, is pretty, pretty helpful. I think when you go to try to solve the problem, because yeah. everybody's problem is somewhat unique. Well, it's definitely unique hardware most of the time. So it very well could be something like that, that is causing an issue. Yeah. Right. Especially when it comes to audio, right? I mean, audio is, yeah, it's, it's, everybody's hardware is very different there. Mm -hmm. And so it's probably important data to collect if you can. Next goes on to, since you mentioned Microsoft's VS Code, a couple of fun facts about it. Uh, Visual Studio Code, 
comes with a built-in telemetry tracking thing. Uh, Visual Studio Code Source is available under the MIT license, but the binaries you download from its official site are proprietary. Uh, ditch VS Code and use VS Codium. Uh, and he gives a link for that. I do use VS Codium personally. Um, I find it, 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 the update mechanism is, is easy enough. It isn't quite as easy as download a deb and install it. However, it's, it's not that much harder, right? It's, it's, right. it's, it's pretty easy and it, it does, uh, add the, um, you do have to add the repository and then you can install it. So it's an extra step, if you will, rather than just download a deb. Well, that that was my biggest thing about VS Code was that uh, before VS Codium was was available and popular, um, that's that's what I did. I, VS Code's available for Linux. Are you kidding me? It's great, awesome. It's a really good editor. Great. So I'll download the thing, download a deb, double click mm-hmm. on the deb, and you're done. Like that's it's over. You're right. It's done. So that is very very nice. I'll agree with you. It makes it simple for that. But adding a repository and then installing it—that's not that. Much harder, really, honestly, because they give you the they give you the instructions. They're pretty easy. And I would like a deb of Brave too, but I don't get that. I have to mm-hmm. install the, or I have to add the repositories by hand. So it's not like I won't do something like that. But when the easier option is available to me, uh, you know, I, I tend to go that way with it anyway. Um, but either way, um, that that was actually the thing that um, that pushed me away from VS Codium when it did come out was that I did download the deb, I did install. The deb, but the mm-hmm. deb is not self-updating. The deb itself doesn't add the repositories, right? Which I feel like would be the nice, the uh, a nice touch. Yeah, I don't know. They don't want to touch your system, I guess, which is fair, I suppose. Uh I mean, to install a deb, you got to give it root powers. So, I mean, mm. yeah, but they don't want to add a repository to your system. You don't want to get your heebie-jeebies uh, okay. up on that one, I guess. So, I guess. So, I mean, it's fair. I can understand that, and it's easy to add. And when you do, then it does self-update. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you get the repository in there, it's all it's all good to go. And I think I will likely migrate my way over. Uh, the one thing that I don't like about VS Codium. Uh, I'm just not a fan mm-hmm. of the icon. I don't. I don't even know what it is. That that's it's like a, a file tree. It's like a tree. Yeah. I yeah. Don't know. So it's like the. It's like. I think the contrast is messed something? up for me. I think that's the problem. Maybe. But other than that, that's that's pretty nitpicky, honestly. I, well, no, it is. It has <laughs> nothing to do with the software itself. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I find it. It's not lacking anything that I need, and it does everything I want. So I'm pretty yeah. happy about that. Yeah. The one thing I can't really do with those is install them uh, Flatpak or Snap, right? Because um, one of the two, if not both, have trouble installing some of the plugins. Yeah. I think when you install Flatpaks, you, uh, the, the Flatpak version of those, sometimes the plugins do have problems. Like, mm-hmm. it, And that's probably a pathing issue because Flatpaks yeah. end up in a different location than your normal system so right um there's probably a way to simlink that and make it fixed but i don't know who wants to go through all that i'll just copy paste a couple of repositories in that case exactly (laughs) i'm right there with you i mean if i just had a quick edit a file i suppose maybe but i can run vim too so (laughs) well yeah exactly (laughs) um anyway finally in this email um it says, uh, wouldn't it be nice if one of you had gone with XFCE uh, edition of MX? 
And I did comment on this and uh, I did, I, I didn't for the run that we did for the show. And the reason I didn't is because I had never done the, the KDE plasma version. And I thought that was better to try something that I hadn't tried. I've used the XFCE version before and it's very good. I mean, I, I, I liked it a lot. I know it's their flagship and uh, a lot of the tools, you know, obviously existed, you know, when XFCE was the only version they had. And so that's where things like the panel, um, flipper tool and stuff like that it you know that's why they exist is because you need mm -hmm. that for xfce so i i'd done that before so that's the reason i didn't do that personally um i hadn't done the plasma version um so yeah i think the desktop is not what is great about mx oh definitely um, no so so i mean obviously yes i did the 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 plasma version of mx but i did run xfce in a vm to kind of get a feel for it and see what was going on with it but i mean i realized that yeah the true value of mx is in just all of the amazing tooling mm -hmm. that they put together for you to make your life easy for the problems that you will encounter one day mm -hmm. and it's just a couple of clicks to fix or configure whatever weird little thing that might've happened or whatever, like, you know, you want to change the, the background of the grub startup or something. You could, oh, yeah. you could totally do that. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. that's, that's just some of that MX tooling doing all the talking there. So, right. um, yeah, the, the value of MX is in the tooling, I think. I'll agree with that. And so like you say, you don't like X XFCE and that could be some of the tooling that's, that's, built into XFCE. And so MX does try to solve some of those problems um, with different things. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, the theming and, and whatnot um, is kind of, you know, that's some of the things they build and, and take care of. So right, it does fix some of those issues for you. So if you are going to go XFCE, I think MX is one of the best, honestly. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. Anyway, Thank you for all your comments on that email. Uh, we're going to touch on another one that you, you sent us uh, in a few moments. Yeah, before we do, before we, before we get on to that, I have a story to tell uh, because I had, I had followed your advice before getting your advice, but I'm glad we agree in general. Um, I've been using Cloudflare DNS for a very, very long time, actually. Um, maybe, maybe two years or so. Mm -hmm. That's right. And... Uh, it's been really good, but I ran into a situation where apparently Cloudflare, the only DNS that I have found so far, they just haven't cached Sean Davis's website, <laughs> bluesaber.org. So if you want to see like XFCE and Zubuntu stuff, that's that's where it gets posted. I mean, he's one of the most prominent developers for it. So there it is, right? And I just thought, oh, maybe he just let his domain lapse or something. It mm. never occurred to me that my DNS service was just not caching the the resolute the, the name that it just yeah. wasn't doing it weird but it is weird. anyway uh, Dan and I were having a conversation about DNS and uh Dan you had mentioned the the DNS provider that you use yeah i use quad9 right and so earlier we mentioned that cloudflare does malware blocking if you use mm -hmm. the 1112 and 1002 options but quad9 does that by default. They do it. Yep. They're 9999 uh does it yeah. by default. Um And they 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 didn't have enough money to buy the other cool DNS 
like IP address or something. Like they could have had nine 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 ten. I mean, seriously, like why not? But um, anyway, yeah, it's like one four two dot something something dot. Nobody remembers it. It's absolutely impossible to do. Yeah, they so have, they have one that is unfiltered basically, but the the quad nine one is is filtered. You right, know, right. So well, it's yeah. it's alternate. So they have they have nine nine nine, and then they have an alternate. Right. And that one is just unmemorable. I can I don't know what it is. I don't think it's that um, bad, but yeah, I just don't remember it either. Well, yeah, well, see, it is that bad, Dan, because you don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, anyway, not that's not the point at all. But so I realized that for Cloudflare, and so we were talking about DNS over HTTPS. Well, Firefox makes that really easy, and so all I did was um, hop down, swap my DNS over HTTPS provider to Quad Nine did bluesaber.org and it worked like immediately what yeah and so that's when i got to thinking well hang on now swap back over to cloudflare try it again no go resolvable yep uh so it was cloudflare and that's weird there's nothing wrong with bluesaber.org you can actually use um there's a i have a website here in the show notes that you can use to to look up pretty much through all the main dns public providers um if things are blocked or what and it wasn't it's just it's not blocked in cloudflare it's just not cached there is no answer at cloudflare right so time's out yeah so i'm like well uh maybe i should move to quad nine and try that out for a little bit and then i'll come on the show and talk about my experience well here it is (laughs) hopefully it's good hopefully it stays good i mean i've had a good time i've so for as long as you've been on cloudflare i think i've been on quad nine okay well so it's 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 half in half out let me explain so cloudflare won't resolve bluesaber.org Mm-hmm. And so you told me about Quad Nine, and I'm like, "Ooh, malware filtering. I do kind of like that. That that prevents anybody in my house. Yeah, I don't have you know direct say over what's happening on that device. Sure, to you know essentially be blocked from nice little safety accidentally net. getting you know creepy crawlies. Yeah, yes, that's great. So Quad Nine it is. So I hop in my router, I swap all my DNS, everything is cool. Well, then uh, a little later on, while I'm on Quad Nine. I open up Tootle. Now, if you remember, uh, about this episode last season, we hopped on Matrix and Mastodon. And with Mastodon, I started with uh, mass.to, and then uh, I uh, moved to c.im for purely um, vain reasons. Vanity reasons, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But but I realized, so c.im is where I'm at. Uh, was, is. Yeah, well, you, we'll you and Joe that. were trying to get the shortest domain names possible. I mean, yeah. I, I And I did. Leo at C.im. It's, it's the smallest you can get. It's pretty anyway, short. Anyway, <laughs> um, well, Quad9 blocks C.im. Well, apparently that short domain name looks sketchy. <laughs> Who knew? Uh, so I can, I, I've got a couple options here, right? I can go back to Cloudflare and not get updates from Sean. I can stay on Quad9 and no longer be able to, without jumping through a big old bunch of hoops, um, lose access to my Mastodon account because C.im is unresolvable. Um, <laughs> or three, keep DNSing, like trying, try next DNS or try AdGuard. And I don't want to do that. I trust you, Dan. Quad Nine has been good. Yeah. Besides that, those two websites. Protective. Yeah. 
I think I think Maz.to is fine now. So yeah. um I, I could go back to that account. But anyway, I haven't really done a whole lot with Mastodon. So so my thought was, well, maybe I just jump on the biggest, craziest one, Mastodon.social, and you know, just do that. Well, anyway, neither here nor there. And by the way, the the name of that website that you can go to to check DNS reputation is the way that they define it, uh, is ipvoid.com slash DNS dash reputation. Yep. And you just type in a, uh, a URL domain name and hit enter. And it will tell you if any of the, the DNS providers that do any kind of blocking block this website or not. Uh, so that's, that's really nice. And Dan, you had a, uh, in addition to that too. Yeah, so Quad9 has a page basically where you can check, um, but just the Quad9 uh, DNS to see if it's blocked there as well. So I'll, I'll post that in there. That's the quad9.net uh, slash result page. And right. uh, that that also does the same thing, but obviously only for Quad9. Yep. I I, I don't know how I found IP Void. Uh, that's really cool. That's a cool website and it checks, you know, a bunch of them, right? And so yeah. that's how you found like C.IM is not just blocked on Quad9. It was a few yeah. other ones too that were looking at that. Yeah. And so that 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 was kind of the, uh, well, I get it if it's one. Right. But when it's like four or five, you know, it, it reminds me of virus total, mm-hmm. right? Like like if it's, if if this file is deemed bad by one group, Okay, well, it's probably fine. Uh, but if it's if it's identified as malware by all of the groups, yeah, it's probably malware. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, yeah, what once, once you add that? Anyway, so I don't know. I didn't research any of this. I'm going purely yeah. by what IP Void says and what these domain name no, services say. I, I don't know. Well, I know if C.IM used... is actually malicious or not, but well, uh, somebody got something bad somewhere at some point, yeah, so they reported the it. The right? consensus is, <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. Uh, I think uh, I think all of those things will help you stay safe and stay safe as a household, honestly, not just uh, your individual. Right, that and that was the point, right? I, I wanted something to protect people while I'm not around. You know, right. hey, is this website cool? I don't know. I'm not there, so right. This this helps out at least a little bit, preventing people from getting to websites they shouldn't be on in the first place. Yeah, yeah. All right, we've got some more feedback from Hacker Defoe. I uh, got another email uh, that says, "Hey there, Leo and Dan. MX Linux review was informative and accurate. Yes, enjoyed it. Good job. <laughs> well, thank you for that." Um, I can't wait to hear the upcoming episode on Slackware. Oh, it boy. It will be a blast from the past for sure. The right. past, like 1990-something past. Yeah, 93. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, I, not to give away the farm, but it's it's been going pretty good so far, honestly, which amazed me that I remembered as much as I did. Yeah, Slackware <laughs> is synonymous with the kitchen sink, so, you mm-hmm. know. A thing that you'll find handy during your run of Slackware, as of writing this email, is slackbuilds.org hasn't caught up with 15. So just in case, uh, flat packs and all, uh, you want to want the Slack builds, here's the source. And so he gives a link for uh, Slack builds, and um, I will post that in the show notes. Nice. And by the way, uh, for those that are following along in Slackware or not following along in Slackware at all, um, Slack builds is basically, and I know it's not exact, but it's basically the AUR for Slackware. It's the package builds for, yeah, for Slackware, yeah. 
Yep, stuff that Slackware themselves don't package and give to you. This is a way to kind of, you know, do that end run around and get software right. that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise. M- much like uh, KOS or Void, you know, yes. they all have ways to, you know, get yourself uh, hooked up with uh, something that's outside the regular repositories. Yes. Anyway, thanks for that. We'll pass it along. Uh, next bit of feedback was from Steve Moest. Leo was listening to the episode Nix Null Not a Nothing, and your mention of WireGuard on a pie caught my attention. I haven't done any band the, the bandwidth tests that you've done with your pies and WireGuard. That sounded interesting, and I wondered how you did that. That was using a couple different uh, a couple of different things. Yeah. Because I was looking for just raw bandwidth, mm-hmm. what I tried to do was use speedtest.net. Now, okay. for those that don't know, uh, speedtest.net usually picks a server that's very close to you. Typically. So mm-hmm. if you're if you're actually looking for how fast you can go on the internet, it's not a great accurate depiction of how fast you can go because that's very dependent on True. nodes in between you and there and how fast they can actually serve files up to you. So it does sort of set I mean, your maximum though. Right. And yeah. that's what I was after. So speedtest.net is fantastic for really just getting some raw numbers, high and low, seeing what happens. So um, the essentially what I did was got WireGuard on my phone, got it all set up, got all connected. I uh, disconnected from Wi-Fi, connected solely through, I think at the time, LTE, and then connected back into my network through WireGuard and used speedtest.net. So basically what it was, it was connecting up to my phone service provider through WireGuard into my network and then out to do the speedtest.net. Right. So the bottleneck there was going to be the upload speed of my own internet connection. Right. And that's going to be everybody's bottleneck, really. Yeah, that's typically the thing that's that's the lowest for everyone, right? Right. Nobody and, has has symmetric internet at home. Yeah, well, yeah, unless you got fiber, the cool, cool one gig yeah. up and down fiber, yeah. Well, I'm but, not one of um, the cool kids, I can tell you that. I'm not either, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the cool thing about that is that if you're getting wildly different numbers than your maximum upload speed, then you're looking at the bottleneck not being your ISP or your router or something. The bottleneck has now become your Pi. Mm-hmm. So yep. you can you can back this up by going into your Pi, opening up top or whatever cool uh, CPU type uh, monitoring solution you've got, be Pi topped up, whatever, and seeing how close to fully loaded one core mm-hmm. it gets. And I mean, if you're looking at 80, 75 to 90% full load of a single core while you're doing that transfer, there's your bottleneck. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what I was looking at. Um, I was getting speed slower than my ISP provided me. And I could prove this by just doing a normal speed test in my mm-hmm. network on a desktop. And I got bigger numbers um, and then just kind of compared, contrasted, did it a few times, got an average. And th- those are the numbers that you see. It's it's an average of about five tests over a couple of different days at different times of the day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're fairly accurate. That's pretty close. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Good enough. Yeah. There are other tools. If you really want to get precise and, and get nuts about this, you could probably use some other tools. Um, one of them being iPerf. I don't know if you've heard about yes. that one. Mm-hmm. That, that's one that'll definitely dig down and tell you 
And also, if you just wanted to see what, uh, you know, what sort of bandwidth your your network adapter on your Pi was, there's a few other tools for for that sort of stuff, too. Um, one of them is like NetHogs. Uh, that, that's one way to do that. There's some other tools that you can install and, and see all those things. But mm-hmm. all of those take CPU, um, well, if you put it on your Pi, of course. But if you used iPerf and you just tested through your Pi, then that's probably again a really good representation of what you're getting while you're connected so right um if you wanted to get like absolute accurate that'd be the way to do it probably definitely and i am way too lazy for absolute accurate scientific what did not enter into the conversation <laughs> you're probably not going to find enough difference for all the time you wasted in or in setting that up so maybe <laughs> so you're probably fine with your you know you know, somewhat unscientific method. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't looking for absolute performance or anything like right. that. You know, you even just if it to know were, how, how's this going to work? <laughs> right. Cause, cause if I could get somewhere in the range of eight megabits to yeah. 16 megabits, if I can in there, that's great. Cause most of the time, mm-hmm. all I do is stream music from my Plex server. So I don't need a ton of bandwidth. Right. But I need a little bit of bandwidth, and if WireGuard and Pies and everything else can provide that to me, that's that's really all I'm looking for. Yeah, and so I'm just looking, like, for me, I'm just looking to stay kind of continually connected to my network, and mm-hmm. I just need to upload my, you know, pictures to my next cloud so that, you know, they automatically upload and I don't lose those, and, you know, stay connected to my stuff that's here. And if I really found that I was short on the bandwidth, I can always disconnect, I suppose, and then turn it back on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, he goes on to say, currently, I'm running the WireGuard on the Raspberry 1B, first generation consumer model with 512 mega RAM and just two USB ports. It even has the old S-Video connector. Wow. I know. <laughs> I know. That's awesome. As the WireGuard client on my work network is using PyVPN to set it up. So that's really cool. Um, I, again, he's, he's just looking to make a connection, probably not really relying too much on all of the, the bandwidth needed. So I think it's a perfect solution. Yeah. And okay, but he said something here that just blew my mind. Yeah. Says, I'm, I'm loving it. It allows me to SSH into this Raspberry Pi so I can connect to Yatam, which is yet another dot file manager as my private Git server. And so once SSH into the Raspberry Pi, I can wake on LAN, my work intranet server, and access a web-based CRM on this server through the VPN tunnel without any issues. That first generation Raspberry Pi provides me with plenty of bandwidth for what I need to do. If you want to read more about this setup, I wrote about it in his blog. So I'll I'll make sure to post that in in the show notes. So thanks thanks for the great Linux content. Yeah, and so if you're if you're just pushing text files, yeah, you're not gonna need a whole lot of bandwidth you for don't. that. And just about anything will get that done for you. But um, I've yet to I've yet to finish up my WireGuard testing on the mm-hmm. Pi Two B Plus just yet. So I'll have some more numbers uh, for us all soon. Question mark before the season's over. I'll put it that way. But he did say something in this email that just blew my mind. I have been I have been configuring on all these pies, on all the devices. Mm. I've been configuring WireGuard by hand. Yeah, and it's not 
that bad, but it's it's not. I actually thought it was fairly easy for a network type service mm-hmm. in configuration files and you know all that. Yeah, it's a lot like exchanging SSH keys and things like that, right? But he said Pi VPN. Yeah. Huh? I thought Pi VPN was open VPN only, but this is not what he is saying. He's yeah. saying Pi VPN can do WireGuard. And it can, because I think recent it's a recent development from uh, what I did in my teeny, teeny, tiny little bit of research. Whoa. That, whoa. I think that's still there. I think they're both, it has both, it has capabilities for both. That's amazing. But so, OpenVPN compared to WireGuard is is night and day. OpenVPN oh, configuration sure. and, and generation and everything else. I hated it. Mm. When PyVPN came out, I was like, oh, I love it. This is amazing. I'll always mm. use OpenVPN for the rest of my life. And then WireGuard came along and I was like, well, many configurations, yeah. not much harder than PyVPN. So well, I'll just use WireGuard. Plus you get a little bit of performance gain. Yeah, quite a bit of performance gain, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And now you're telling me that both. the easier than Pi VPN WireGuard has now been made even easier mm-hmm. by the same group. <gasps> yeah, that is pretty awesome. There's there's a lot of advances though. I will see say like um, there's some GUIs that look promising for WireGuard uh, management, and uh, I, I'm I'm interested to see where that goes. I think a lot of them are web based. So if you were managing mm-hmm. a bunch of people that were connected to a central hub or something like oh, that, yeah. that would be that would be the way to go there on that. And uh Yeah. Current currently for my own uses, I'll probably only use like three connections, maybe my yeah. phone, my laptop, and then uh and then maybe an extra device or something like right. that. But yeah, I could see if you're doing fifty people or something yep. like that. Give me some drop down boxes and some copy pasta, because ooh, I am not doing that by hand. Nope. <laughs> yeah, no, that that it, it, it has a lot of value. And so I'll go, I'll go back to the other thing, the Raspberry 1B, it probably is, you know, the bottleneck on, on that connection. But think about uh, the days of yore when you had a dial-up uh, modem as like a backdoor into your network in case things went totally oh. kaflooey and you needed a way to back, you know, get back in somehow um, to remote networks, wherever they were. Um they certainly weren't fast, but they served a purpose, and I think this is the sort of thing that could do this, something similar. You know, Amazing. get you back online kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Anyway, thank you for the feedback. Really appreciate it. These are all great uh, feedback items, and uh, we love them. Keep them coming. So the next topic I wanted to bring up was uh, the 15-minute bug initiative from KDE. This this came about from a blog post by Nate Graham. About a month ago, a little over a month ago, about a month ago, though, um, and it's a, what it is, is there are bugs that can be easily encountered within the first 15 minutes of basic usage. Oh, there are bugs. On a plasma system, right? <laughs> We've all encountered them. But when you encounter those, that kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And, and certainly when you encounter them within the first 15 minutes. And uh, so... The idea is to reduce those so that new users don't encounter them. And uh, the initial bug list was about 100-ish. And um, as of today, when I looked at it, we're down to about 79. 
Oh wow, that's that's less than when I, I saw it last. I know it was like eighty five or eighty four. Uh, it, it keeps it's slow, steady progress. Maybe not every uh, week, but there are things that are just getting ticked off the list. So I find that to be pretty awesome. I like this slow, steady approach to it because that leads to probably good stability. Well, yeah, fixes. yeah. And so huh. I, I've got a link to um, the initial bug list and Nate's um, blog post that I'll I'll definitely add. So some basic criteria. These are things that affects the default setup. So if you've not tweaked a whole bunch of stuff in Plasma, um, you know, your default setup, you'll encounter these. Um, they're 100% reproducible. More than one person can obviously, you know, make this happen. Right. Um, there's something basic that doesn't work, like a, a button doesn't do anything when you click on it, that sort of thing. Or or they could be something basic that looks visually broken, you know, like a, a graphics glitch or some sort of color, you know, contrast out of out of place. Those sorts of things are are, you know, they fit the criteria. Um they could be something that causes plasma or the full session to crash which obviously Ooh. those are catastrophic. We don't want to encounter those. Those go at the front of the triage I, I'm sure line. they do. I'm sure <laughs> they do. Um, or they could be something that requires a reboot or terminal commands to fix. And uh, ultimately, if the bug has more than five duplicates, that's another thing that, that puts oh. it into the criteria, right? Well, lots of people complaining about it. Well, that's the squeaky yeah. wheel thing, though, yeah. But it is. If you encounter it, you know, if it, you and everyone encounter it and report on it um it's something that probably should get fixed yeah absolutely so ultimately the kde developers and bug tri triagers are the ones that make the call if it's a 15 minute uh bug or not and so i i just wanted to really draw some attention here and applaud the effort i think uh, tackling these things that people notice um out of the gate is a really good approach it uh it it gives a good initial feeling behind using the desktop. And often that's what keeps you coming back is if you have a positive experience. So I, I think um, this is something that um, more projects possibly should focus on is the little things that hit you in the face first. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe a lot of projects do kind of they probably look at do. this kind of stuff. Yeah. But I like the fact that. Um, the KDE team is making it a public affair, counting yes. them down. Yes, that it's it's just fun to watch. It is these like a bug list that started at a hundred getting whittled down slowly and slowly. You know, it's things like that I think that are outwardly public facing that can get people excited about mm -hmm. mundane things like right. bug fixes. It doesn't. It didn't matter to me. When the bug number went from 85 to 84, all that mattered to me was that the number got, got smaller. Fixed. Yeah. And that was just, that in and of itself <laughs> was exciting mm -hmm. because, I mean, these hundred bugs are getting taken care of. It's very visible. I think more projects need to do this kind of thing, but I applaud KDE for doing this kind of thing because it's just fun 
yeah, to watch is. and it's it's real progress happening in real time and everybody can talk about it so it's 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 really good stuff i really really enjoy watching the countdown get smaller yeah and i, I think nate does a good job of promoting it i mean he does a good job of promoting kde in general and uh if you don't know you, you, sh- you visit his blog um he's got a weekly progress report yes where he's talking about all the bugs that they're they're hitting and these 15 minute bugs go at the top of the list and they are the ones that he's targeting first um in his report they they deserve some praise for it and they they have something to be proud of oh yeah uh leo there are linux bugs oh there's bugs dan there's a lot of bugs and uh linux is just going to be it's just going to end up in the in the trash heap of history because there's so many bugs and we've 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 talked We've we've seen articles, we've seen people get all up in arms about how <laughs> terrible open source development is and how it's how it's not worth it and how closed door development is obviously better. And specifically Linux is a terribly jumbled mess when it comes to insecurity and the ability to fix bugs. But isn't the fact that they're open have something to do with that? But No, Dan, no. Okay. Let me tell you why. All right, carry on. You remember the bug, the the policy kit bug? Oh. Well, it's, pol- it's pull kit now, right? Yeah. And that, that was last month. It allowed local users to give themselves root privilege. Like, yeah, great, sure. Wasn't remote mm-hmm. exploit uh, or anything like that. But, I mean, it was terribly egregious. Yep. And so, and then you could escalate and get root privileges and change files and steal information. And what about that bug in SnapD? Mm-hmm. That also allowed a local user to gain root privileges. What about that bug, Dan? Yeah, what about that bug? You know, I saw someone post on a Telegram chat today, The you know, about this, um, because it's recent. And uh, they're like, yeah, good job, Canonical, for releasing Snap before all the bugs were fixed. <laughs> um <laughs> Wait a minute. Whoa. I can't keep up. a straight face anymore. I can't. I, can't I, I, do know, it. I know. This I, I thought that one would break <laughs> you, honestly. Um what software that gets released does not have a bug? Tell no, me. no, listen, Dan, the world works. This is how it works, okay? When you submit software, you you label it one dot zero and then you never update it again because it's perfect. That every every good software in the world is only one dot zero. <laughs> that never happens Leo. and then it's and then it's done uh-huh right see see good companies like adobe they don't update mm. their software they just change the year so now mm. it's, it's creative whatever 2022 that's see, a good they idea didn't update it they didn't fix any bugs because it's already perfect they just revamped the year see that's how they do it that's that's how real software development okay. happens you don't develop the software Okay. Well, that, I, mean, I that's, get you. That's the yeah. answer. Well, Windows 10 was the last Windows ever. Well, of course. Well, no, Windows One. If you if you look real close, when it says Windows 10, it doesn't actually say 10. Zoom in. Yeah. There's and there's a, a dot. There's a dot. One there? dot zero. That's okay. what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes that's sense. Definitely now. what it is. All right, back in character. So, <laughs> and who can leave out the bug in Samba with a CVS score or severity rating for those that that, that don't get cvs is of a 9.9 out of 10 it's it's pretty much as big as you get that's as high as it goes yep that when you're using the fruit module the fruit module 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get you. <laughs> this is a module that allows you to interface with the Apple filing protocol, right? The a- mm, AFP. AFP. <laughs> this bug allows remote code execution with root privileges. Well, what could go wrong with that? That's remote. It, it, yeah, <laughs> you don't even need a login. You don't. This is worse than the other two. You oh, don't even sure. need a login if this machine is facing any computer, whether that's on the internet or a local internet, uh, local intranet. Right. You're you're able to hit it and immediately grant yourself root privileges, and then use that to then do remote code execution. Wow. To I mean anything, write files, play around with cron, do 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 weird stuff. There are bugs in everything. There are bugs in everything. Okay, so for real though, what's more important to note though? I think about these bugs. Those bugs are not great. None they of them. Not. No, none of them are. Right. I mean the the policy kit one is actually pretty bad. That uh, was bad. Scored seven point eight. Uh, mm-hmm. CVSS score. The SnapD one is also seven point eight. Um. And yeah, like if you leave your laptop open on a desk and you walk away from it logged in, then yes, someone could come behind you and use those two bugs had you have you not updated to sure. gain deeper access to your system and install stuff or whatever. Those those are pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, the Samba one is even worse because you don't need to be logged in. You just have to have that that Samba port exposed and have the uh, the AFP module enabled yeah just gotta be there and remote code exec i can run stuff on your computer from across the hall or across the entire world if it's uh if it's accessible over the internet but what's important to note more than the pulkit bug is according to google's project zero linux is getting its security patches faster than any other software ever so this includes Windows, their average is 83 days Holy to cow. fix a bug. And that makes a lot of sense because a lot of those bugs get dealt with in patch Tuesdays. And if they miss the Tuesday, then they got to wait another 30 days. So if they're really bad, they'll they'll do an out of band thing. But then that, then it's a really big deal, right? Yeah. Right. Th- those are those nines, 9.5s. Windows will get those done. Yeah. Android's average, 72 days. Oof. Not too bad. I mean, it's not bad, it's, but I wonder about the devices out there if they're actually getting those updates or not. Dan, you know they're not. Quit, quit playing around. You know those devices that you bought a year and a half ago aren't getting updates anymore. Please, just people running Android Seven out there and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, I throw shade, but it is getting better. It is uh, better. A lot of the newer devices are getting much longer support cycles and things like Which that. Which is but great. Thank you for that. Definitely. But that mirrors a that, that mirrors pretty closely iOS's average, which is about 70 days. Okay. That's not too bad. Then Firefox comes in at 37 days. You know I had to talk about Firefox. Yeah, no, that's cool. Chrome, 30 days. Well. Not bad. And of course the list goes on and on and on. It's plenty of others. But you get the idea. The average of all developers out there that are fixing bugs is about 52 days. Okay. Now Linux, 25 days. Nice. When people, when security researchers, Qualys in specifically, because they're the ones that found the Samba bug and they found the Paul Kit bug. Well, okay, I've got more about that in a minute. But uh, once those are disclosed to the people that could make the change, 
an average of 25 days before you see a fix. Some a little shorter, some a little longer, but right. the average is 25 and it's the best in the industry. Nice. So I think, I think all of that hubbub about open source is terrible and Linux is terrible and it's going to be, it's, it's bad for security. And I mean, uh, number one, that it, it's not the truth because we're running Linux everywhere. It may not be dominant on the desktop, but it's dominant everywhere. It else. is very dominant. That's for sure. It runs on a lot of devices. Mm -hmm. So 25 days, it that's beats really the quick. industry average. Now, Leo, you say, mm -hmm. how can you talk about the poll kit bug, which took nine years uh, to truly discover and fix and the 25 day fix average in the same segment? Well, you beautiful listener, you once Qualys had disclosed the bug, it was fixed in the normal time frame. This one was weird. The mm -hmm. poll kit one was actually pretty weird in that. I couldn't find where there was any formal disclosure of the bug. Mm. But there was disclosure. So, and but again, remember nine years ago. So once Qualys had found the bug again, the real process started and we actually got into that 25-day average, yeah. which is actually kind of nice. So I think part of that is the disclosure process, right? Well, right. I, I think uh, posting the what what you found on a blog you run the risk of it being buried under all of the other tech news and right. everything else or if your blog is just not connected to enough people it's not going to get the eyes that it deserves as it deserved it nine years ago mm -hmm. but unfortunately it just didn't get the you go there now it, it didn't get to the right security professionals in order to be right. a thing that goes out wide Right. Yeah. If you go there now, you can see a bunch of uh, a bunch of folks now adding comments to that post saying, ha, you called it nine years ago. You know, there it is. Right. And now we're dealing with it now. But but yeah, I think I think that was really it. And I think the Project Zero team from Google agrees because they said we suspect that this trend may be due to the fact that responsible disclosure policies have become the de facto standard in the industry and vendors are more equipped to react rapidly to reports with differing deadlines. We also suspect that vendors have learned best practices from each other and there has been increasing transparency in mm. the industry. So over these past 10 years, things have gotten better and better and better. Oh, for sure. we, we all have an idea of how these bugs can be disclosed. And once they are disclosed, those averages, those are the averages. Yeah. And Linux is top of the heap. 25 days is nice. That's good. That's good. Those are good numbers. Yep. And it, it's something I think is extremely important to get that quickness. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you're you in a situation where ev well, almost everybody, in the Paul Kit situation, everybody just about was, uh, was yeah. affected by this. I mean, yeah. companies and people work directly with the affected softwares to show how these bugs can be leveraged, get patches written and ultimately distributed so folks stay safe. And yep. that says a lot that Linux is the fastest. That's awesome. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. The Linux and open source community has some fantastic resources, and we want to make sure to highlight that. In our showcase for this episode, we want to draw your attention to the awesome open source YouTube channel um, by Brian McGonagall. And um, a lot of us, like Leo and I, 
we do a lot of self-hosting of things. Mm-hmm. And so Brian runs you through a lot of those. He does some other desktop things too, a little bit, but a lot of the things, the projects he works on are actually Docker. And so you can pick up some Docker skills here. And uh, even if some of these projects might not be interesting to you, I think, um, you know, just learning about how things are put together and and uh, running through some of these Docker things is, is you know, good learning experience, if nothing else. But a lot of those uh, things that he's, he's talking about hosting, um, they're really interesting, I think. I don't, I don't know. Have you had a chance to check this out, Leo? Well, I'm a super nerd, so obviously they're interesting to me. Um, mm-hmm. We we talked about maybe it was on the last topic episode we were talking about PF Sense. Yep. And this... Matthias and how he was setting it all up. Yep. Um, this is this is one of the videos that he's got, he's got on his videos, channel yeah. installation mm-hmm. and initial configuration of PF Sense. He actually did a video of something that I had talked about on Mintcast months ago. Um, what's better? Uh, zip, tar GZ, or 7-zip. Yeah. So he'll go into the compression utilities, show you uh, the, the information that's going in, the information that's coming out, the compression ratios, and all of that. That was, honestly, that was kind of a fun time. I probably should have made a video about it. Um, yeah. And Jellyfin. I know I, I go yeah, Plex yeah, yeah. myself, but if you're more of a open source aficionado when it comes to how you want to get your movies presented to you, then Jellyfin. Yeah, Jellyfin's good. That's that's good stuff. So these videos are pretty good. Uh, I mean, especially if you are more of the nerdy uh, persuasion. And one of my favorite things, though, uh, Grafana. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's got a video about Grafana, um, which is probably the prettiest dashboard and mm. most customizable dashboard out there. Interestingly it, enough, he did a speed test one uh, that, that used Grafana. Uh-huh. Oh, that was pretty cool. I actually set that up at work. It was cool. I love blinky lights, and Grafana is the prettiest of the blinkies, I think. Yep, absolutely. So he's actually got a little uh, little, little gathering, if you will, a little community built up, and so it's, it's great stuff. I love to see these things. They're all open source uh, projects, so um, nice to follow along and, and see the different things that are possible with open source. Feel free to send your feedback and emails to contact at linuxuserspace.show. We love our patrons. Thanks to everyone for your contributions. We truly appreciate your support. If you want to join the other patrons, please head on over to patreon.com slash linuxuserspace. You can be like Josh and Bruno right here in the recording studio with us. Yeah, hearing all the mistakes, uh, stuff out of order. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> we might you know. shuffle things around a little bit, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We have our matrix room, uh, linuxuserspace.show slash matrix. You can hop on over there, have some fun. We also have our Telegram group. Please join us at linuxuserspace.show slash Telegram. And if those aren't enough chat platforms, we have our Discord server, linuxuserspace.show slash Discord. I've got, I've spent a lot of time getting all of the logos of all the Linux oh, distros yes. in as uh, um, like a custom, emojis, yeah, yeah. Um, that's pretty cool, actually. I, I I I won't say I enjoy doing all of that, but I I enjoy the product. You, you must of... have enjoyed it because you did a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did like I did like twenty the first night, um, but yeah, I still got to I still got to do a few more because it turns out there's like Linux distros for days 
Uh, apparently they, they just really? don't run out. They, they yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> I hear that's a, I hear that's a thing in the Linux community. They just keep coming up with new distros. Yeah, they kind of do. To mess around with. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one goes away and 10 more pop up. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, please follow us on Twitter, um, at Linux user space to get all the announcements for the show and highlights for things to impact your user space. Um, you can watch our faces on YouTube. LinuxUserspace.show slash YouTube. We also have our subreddit, LinuxUserspace.show slash Reddit. Yeah, pretty much all of the articles we talk about in these topic shows, yeah, they get posted over there. So if you want to have a conversation about that, that's a good place to do it. And not get lost in a Telegram or Discord conversation. I think it's a better better flow as far as keeping track of all the articles because there's a bunch of articles we actually don't bring up on the show, believe it or not. Yep. And yeah, it's it's more akin to a forum. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do kind of like that because you can go hours between responses and yet still have the conversation yep. uh, flow Topic and make sense. Yeah. Um, we've also caught up with the open source Fediverse Times and joined Mastodon. And you, can, you can follow us at Linux user space at mastodon.social. I need to know uh, what the best Twitter mirror to Mastodon thing api whatever thing is yeah so so if you know i did find one that was written in rust um oh so maybe i don't know okay we'll, we, we'll we try that try one out around but if anybody knows of a really good one please let us know please let me know yeah uh, I, I i would like to use that one absolutely but, uh, but the rest one sounds good too okay. yeah i'll i'll dig we'll that have, back up and, and share it but um we'll, ha- we'll have them duke it out yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, lastly, don't forget to rate this podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast application and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. You can always get more information on our website, linuxuserspace.show. You know what I haven't done in a long time is uh, open the show or open this segment with uh, with the with the original catchphrase, this is App Focus, where we focus on the app. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and I don't I don't know when I got away from that. I don't. Uh, it know was never either. really written down, and, and and it was. I think when 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 we talked about it originally, it was more of a joke. I, I said it as a joke, and then Joe was like, "Oh, that does kind of sound good." And I was no, like, "Oh, okay, catchy. cool. I'll, I'll keep I'll keep going on with it." And then I stopped sometime. But uh, we've been doing this channel migration. And I've been working on re-rendering oh, some of the yeah. videos so we can take them off of the old channel, close down that old channel, and bring up the new channel and have all the content in one space. Um, but yeah, I listened to the very first episode to get some timestamps, and I heard that. And I was <laughs> like, wait a minute, that's right. This is App Focus, where we focus on the app. Yeah, why, we do. Why have, why, why have we not been focusing on... Well, we have, but... Oh, we totally have. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, cool. Anyway, well, that's good. A little I blast mean, from the past. I should write that in the show doc so that we don't forget. Well, no, and then I'll forget, and then I'll remember like eight episodes from now, and then we'll have the same exact conversation then. It could be fun. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Maybe. So, Leo, what are we focusing on? We're focusing on Nextcloud. Oh, that, yeah, we that are. Wink, wink, about an hour ago. <laughs> um, finally, finally, we, we make it, and we see what we're talking about. So, Nextcloud. Um, we just got done talking about awesome open source YouTube channel and 
that that is kind of in the vein of what we're dealing with where um nextcloud can be deployed in you know docker or snap or you can mm-hmm. do it by hand or whatever you want but nextcloud is a google drive or onedrive kind of self-hosted alternative yep it does like all the things you can it do does. i mean full on uh like word processing inside of it um mm-hmm. i personally use it Yes. Oh, yeah. The collaborative part. I forget about that. Sometimes I use well, that's pretty important. alone. <laughs> yeah. It, but but it is collaborative. It very much can be when you share stuff between accounts on your uh, on your Nextcloud instance. Mm-hmm. Um, but why would you want something like this? Uh, because it, I mean, honestly, I think both Dan and I can tell you that at least in the very beginning, it is a little bit of work to get it, it is. set up. It is. It is. You have to do some tweaking. Hmm. But you would want something like this so that you can control your own data, mm-hmm. so that you can leave the big companies behind, mm-hmm. so that you don't have to pay monthly for 100 megabytes of or gigabytes of storage access or one terabyte or whatever it is. Right. Or because you're like me and you're a tinkerer and just want to learn more about how Linux and Docker and Snap and all these different kinds of services and things like that work yeah maybe all the above even yeah yeah okay i I say i'm the last one but i'm yeah i'm kind of all the above right like so uh the more storage for less yeah i got four terabytes of storage to to deal with on that and yeah all i pay for is electricity and the uh the knowledge that i banged my head against the desk enough to make it work (laughs) yep absolutely so uh so dan how do you use this i mean Obviously, we've both been using Nextcloud for a very, very long time. It's it's kind of surprising that we haven't talked about it up to this point. But um, so how, how do you actually use Nextcloud in your day-to-day? All right. So I will say there is a cornucopia of uh, plugins and add-ons that you can install. And uh, a lot. There are a lot. Literally, it feels like everything. And so one of the ones that I have installed that I actually don't use mm, too much, um, I get to enjoy it, though. Um, is a recipe collection tool that my wife uses. Oh, there's an actual like plugin for that. Yes, there is. Um, Whoa! And so it uh, it does you know like recipe collections, and so she can she can pull them up, and they look nice. They're well formatted and stuff, and so it keeps track of all of those. And uh, yeah, it's just a place to 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 store all of that stuff in in one location rather than a recipe book it's it's digital i've just been doing this like in markdown like a dunce well you can so do th- that there's too. like an entire plugin for there's this a plugin for it it's pretty oh, great wow and so that's pretty cool and so she uses that um wow i do use the notes thing from time to time probably yeah, that's what i'm talking about yep i use that um i definitely sync all of my contacts that are on my phone uh, uh daily and i also sync my pictures and videos that I have on my phone, um, you know, daily too. Mm-hmm. So not just like a lot of like Google, if you have an Android phone, will do that for you, obviously. Or you can uh-huh. use iCloud if you if you have an iPhone. Um, but I feel like this is another place to put that stuff that I don't have to worry about losing. Right. Well, I mean, so what I ended up doing was running pretty quickly into the free iCloud limit. Uh, oh, like yeah. 15 or 20 or I don't know, whatever it yeah, is. It's not gigs. much. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so what I ended up using Nextcloud for was just every, it seems to me like just photos alone, mm-hmm. I can do, I can do about 10 gigs of photos in a year. Yeah. So yeah, at the end right. of the year, I just remove them off my phone mm-hmm. and have them both or have them in Nextcloud, which is backed up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I have all those photos. They are searchable. I can get to them on my phone or any other device, mm-hmm. and it's very easy to do. But I don't have to. Um, I don't have to deal with uh, worrying about how much storage I have in iCloud yeah. anymore. So that yeah, is that is a, a huge benefit to running something like this. Yeah, I don't think about it. It just syncs them automatically, and yep. uh, it just does its thing. So, yep. Um, never lose either of those two things for sure. Um, because I have them in multiple locations, which you're supposed to do. And mm-hmm. so that's that's where I use it on a daily right there. And I don't even think about using it on a daily. I mean, because it's so seamless. Yeah. You had you had to think about thinking about using it on the daily. Uh, yeah, I kind of did. <laughs> Something yeah, like right? that. <laughs> and so, um, I don't know. There's there's some other nifty little things. It's got, you know, a little weather widget that, that shows up when you when you first log in. That's kind of okay. nice. Dan, you got to tell me how to fix this. It it mm-hmm. keeps telling me it, number one, it's in Celsius, and I can't figure out how to change it. Not oh. not that I can't convert it, but I have to convert it because I'm like, what is seven Celsius, man? Oh, what, I think what I might even... have did that in my brain, but um, I'm sure there's a way to change that. <laughs> Bruno says cold. <laughs> cold. It is. I, I well, that's warm you know, here. I, <laughs> I think I, I think I I I can get that right, like. I think generally I know seven Celsius is, you know, 20 is getting good. It's getting okay. But um, I, I can't, yeah, I don't do the conversion as quickly as you do, Dan. So if I see seven Celsius, I'm like, ah, maybe I think I need a jacket. I think. That's but, above uh, freezing. So I I know, I know that's <laughs> that's not bad, right? Right, right. Um, Yeah, no, it isn't but, Celsius. And so I'm I'm just fine with that. <laughs> so I, I can't figure out how to do it. I swear I've changed my location in the settings. I have tried to go into the settings of the weather widget and it just doesn't seem to me like there's anything. But I also, for some reason, every anytime I, I create new text documents in Nextcloud, uh, uh, by default, I think it's text, but there's an option for you to be able to change that to Markdown. So it'll immediately go into Markdown mode, which mm. is super cool. Well, there but, is another plugin for that too, Leo. Well, before we get to that, I just <laughs> I, I just want to just remember how terrible I was for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that option. I was like, well, I'm not going to change it right now because I do have some text files and maybe, you know, I, I don't mm-hmm. know if it's going to mess with anything. But then like the next day I was like, you know, I should have just done it. Let me go back in and do it. I spent an hour looking, Dan. I couldn't find it. I don't know where I went. To find it. Well, well, there's a and lot then, of them to thumb through. So there's, I can see how you could lose it. Yeah. And then sometime in the past six months, I found it again and turned it on. And I was like, well, finally, I found it. I'll yeah. never touch that again. It's the uh, notes. It's called notes. Well, uh, right. No, no, no. Okay. So like when you go into, like you just open up a folder, go in the folder and click plus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then click a text file. Mm-hmm. That is by default TXT. Correct. But you can change it. You can change to, it. To, to MD, but it's not through the notes thing. It is not through the it notes was, thing. It was some setting somewhere that I found and then lost and then found again and then changed it. And then now I hope that I never have to find it again because I won't be able to. <laughs> it's somewhere. I don't know. So another cool little tidbit that I did um, is I installed the Breeze Dark theme. What? What? Yeah, so I did. And so 
It's Breeze Dark. It matches my desktop. It's Breeze. Are you kidding? No, what? isn't that fantastic? I didn't... Wait, there are themes? Yeah, there's not many. Um, but Breeze Dark is one of them that I did install, and I absolutely love it. I do. I feel like that meme. Everybody's talking about all the cool stuff they're getting. You guys get cool stuff? Yeah. Yeah, no. And so uh, I, I do. Whoops. I love that one. I don't have a lot installed, honestly. I, I tr One of the things I did try that seemed to kind of overload my system because it's a little underpowered... Was, oh, you told me about this was one. Was the newsreader. And yeah. uh, that's how I landed on the newsreader that I landed on. But um, it, um, yeah, really consumed a lot of juice trying to suck down the feeds. Yeah, I think my CPU might be able to handle it. But, I mean, the fact that whatever you're using right now is struggling, yeah. I don't, I don't want to put my NAS under that kind of pressure, man. It's yeah. like... Not a lot of CPU going on with Nextcloud in the first place. I don't. I don't want to crank that up to twenty percent for no reason. So right. I'll stick with fresh RSS, which, by the way, was last app focus. It was. It was. So that's how I landed on that. Though is is uh, by going through a couple of different iterations of things. So that's about all I do on mine. Um, you know, I got some documents, obviously, that I will shuffle around to different places and whatnot, and mm -hmm. and, and things of that sort. Um, it's kind of nice to be able to access access those from multiple machines, and I do sync them to yes. my desktop. So I I sync some of that stuff to my desktop, and obviously I'm syncing my phone to the next cloud. So I have all of my pictures wherever I need them, and that that's kind of nice for me. Uh, just like Dan, I've got my phone pictures and videos uh, backed up to next cloud. Uh, all the other videos and images and other bits I use to produce the show. That's that's, I think, the thing I use it. Well, okay. Mm -hmm. More data is used in Nextcloud for the show than anything else. Let me put it that way. Yeah, I could buy um, that. Well, yeah. 18 gig files, Dan. They get they get large. I have some large <laughs> videos large. that I send Leo's way. <laughs> I think I think what I'm gonna do now is for like archival purposes, I'm gonna like re-render them down. Oh, I'm sure you compress could compress yeah. them a little bit. <laughs> they are yeah, raw. So, they are not compressed. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but but it, it's super easy to just mm -hmm. grab these files, throw them in Nextcloud, and then have them on more than in more than one location. So it's it's amazing for that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, all the files that I want to actually keep safe, like. If I were to lose some of the source files of the show, it's not that big a deal because I have right. some of those files, the the important, important ones. I have those backed up in a couple of different places. Right. Um, but also there's some documents that I have that I just absolutely don't ever, ever right. want to lose. It has become a full-on Google Drive replacement. Mm -hmm. Now I just the the limit is the drives that I have right. in the box now. And yes, it's more effort. Yes, you have to deal with, um, you know, being able to access that outside of your own network, which requires a little bit of skill in some other areas, but I think it's worth it. So in conjunction with WireGuard, I can get anything anywhere, everywhere, all the time. Now, my installation is done through Snap on Ubuntu directly on my NAS. Dan, how do you do yours? So I have a I have a server-ish machine here. Um it's older. Um but it's running Ubuntu server. Mm -hmm. And I have Lexd. So I'm running oh. a, I'm running an LXC 
container, but I am using the snap inside of that. Oh, very nice. So isolated away, even more isolated away than it already is isolated away. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's cool. probably not a ton of isolation, but more, but um, it just, it keeps the, the system itself containerized. And so it's easy to move um, because you can just copy the whole container and move it over to somewhere right. else and you're back in right. business. That's really cool. And I thought the, the snap installation was dead easy. Um, oh, yeah. Well, okay. I, yeah, I take that easy. back. I, I wrote a blog post specifically over how I set mine up because there were a couple of different commands that were hard to find, um, like the uh, the external storage yep, the connection thing that stuff. you have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a little hard to, to find, but... I mean, I wrote it all down. So if you if you do want mm-hmm. to try it out on on data that you don't care about or something like that, there is a write up. And uh, Dan, you had a video of uh, something as well. I did. Jay Lacroix had a had a video, and his, that's his, right. And his installation is not the snap. It's actually installing it, you know, with all of the packaging. So he installs Apache. He installs, you know, MySQL. Or MariaDB, probably. Um, mm-hmm. and, oh, the hard way, huh? Right. And so, um, and PHP and, you know, put all the bits together. And it actually wasn't that hard. Like, it was, I don't know, it's an hour video. And uh, well, it, it I, I guess relatively straightforward. What, what really attracted me to Docker and Snap was it's way less brittle. If, yeah. if any of those links in those chains change then things can break and the downside to that is well it's broken until you fix it Mm -hmm. and with docker a lot of times you can just throw away the container and pull down new containers and as long as the data and the database and everything else is still okay you plug it all up everything works and same with the snap yeah it could be a little more management probably if you had to you know do a database restore yeah all of those things you'd want to be a little more familiar with that Uh, i went with the snap though because I prefer how it handles data. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, and if you watch Jay LaCroix's video, mm-hmm. you'll realize that NextCloud uses a database to store all your data. Right. The Snap stores all the data in a typical Linux directory structure that you set up prior to installation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like a flat file sort of approach, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And and that's super advantageous for me because of the way that I do my backups. I don't back up a database. I back up each individual file. Right. And the cool thing about that is that if my main disk, my main NAS disk were to fail, I would be able to take my external disk, plug it into any Linux-based computer, and pull files off. Mm-hmm. Just straight rip them out of there these are super important i need these right now you know because the nas is down right now so you know i can access them directly off of the disk or i can copy them copy them over to somewhere else i can see some benefit there yeah yeah that's extremely advantageous to me um because the data lives on and i don't have to use external tools or i don't have to create a database and mount this database inside of it or in, inside of whatever so i can access the stuff and then pull out individual no it's just the files and i really really appreciate that that's the route that snap went to to handle the data data within mm-hmm. nextcloud so anyway um yeah reaching into a database just maddening if it's new to you well, that's why there's database administrators 
that, that yeah. manage that stuff. And literally a person trained to do that kind of that's, thing. That's all they and do is they, they live in a they live in that all day long. Yep. And and I, I poke at them every now and then, but I'm not confident that if I need to get a file out of a database, I could do it in five minutes. Just no. But I know that I could unmount my drive, unplug it, plug it into a new machine, pull data off in just a couple of minutes. So that I think is in for for my use case anyway, a snap is the easiest way to get it installed, the easiest way to manage it, the easiest to deal with if there's a failure of some kind. I like it. And I'll do it again. I'll do it again. Yep. So Dan, obviously you're gonna use it. Oh hey, if I want my wife to keep cooking the recipes that she has in there, I'm absolutely Ooh. gonna keep this thing running. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> And same here, until the wheels fall off, man, it got me off of Google. It it, it allowed me to kind of be the steward of my own data. Um I get to play uh I get to play real big sysadmin out here. And yeah, I'm gonna just keep using it until the wheels fall off. It's yeah. a it's a fantastic product and I, I wouldn't trade it for anything else. It's great. I, I'm amazed with it. It's it's pretty fascinating. I love it. So Next time, we are going to wrap up our journey with Slackware. Slackware, the the oldest uh, distribution actively maintained. I don't know if you haven't started; it's not too late. Um, I'll I'll say use the live Slack. It's it's linked in the uh, release notes that Patrick uh, Volkerding um, posted. Um, so I would say it's semi-official. Maybe not actually official, but semi-official. Um, yeah, pull that down, and it's it's plasma, and uh, it gets you off and running anyway. You know, people people talk about Slackware all the time, um, just in generalities, I think. But I don't think anybody ever puts it into context where Slackware sits on the difficulty meter between mm. Debian and Gentoo, and it is absolutely a hundred percent closer to Gentoo than yep. it is to Debian as oh, far yeah. as difficulty goes. I mean, if, if there's software outside of Slackware that you need, you're going to have to, in some way, shape, or form, going to have to compile it for yourself. Probably, unless you can S- download a full-blown binary that's zipped up or something. Discord. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, Discord. Right? Like- <laughs> you can run Discord that way. You can. <laughs> yeah, you can. Well, Telegram. Think- Telegram's another one, right? Yeah. Although it- Telegram's available, but Telegram's one you can download that way. Right, exactly. So, yes, but it's definitely on the, like, Debian, I would say, is way less hands-on than Arch or Gentoo or something like that. And oh, yeah, probably, yeah. You need to put Slackware in the same grouping mm-hmm. as, I think, at least Arch, but I would I would really argue more Gentoo than anything else. Cause I'll buy that. It's all stock. And yeah, if you want something outside, difficulty meter ramped up a little bit. No, no, we, no, no doubt about it. Um, definitely yep. a little on the harder side. I did this to us, Dan. I did it. You did, but I'm, <laughs> I'm here. I'm following along, and I'm making the best of it. And um, I'm having a good time. I'm learning some stuff. I did have to resort to, you know, installing a couple of things, you know, from the binary downloads, if you will, like Discord. Hey, um, but it's yeah. working, so I'm happy about that. Right. And well, hey, a lot of people download their browsers that way anyway. So yeah, yeah. oh, actually, yeah, you could do Firefox that way too, huh? Yeah, I mean that totally works, right? Thank you everybody for listening and for your support. Uh, where can we find you, Leo? You can find me at Leo Chavez on Twitter for now. 
And you can find me at KC2BEZ on Twitter and most everything else. Hey. Join us in two weeks when we return to the Linux user space. My desk isn't bad. That's pretty sturdy. It's not very big, though. It's not very deep. Um, mm. So, I mean, that might be why it's more sturdy, too. But Well, see, then you need you need the, the desk clamp monitor stands with the Visa mounting. I absolutely do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that that was a huge upgrade. The amount of desk space you get when your monitor's not sitting on your desk mm-hmm. is crazy. Yes, I um, know. Yeah, that monitor stands are awesome. Oh, and and the gas ones, the ones with the little hydraulic or whatever inside of it. It's amazing. You just pick them up, move them over, swap them around, flip them upside, do whatever you want to to them. Yeah. They'll take all kinds of The bolted down's good. If you get the clamps that go all the way through, though, like Mm -hmm. if you drill a hole and then clamp it down that way, those are good. I've had some of those that are pretty solid. I mean, even on this flimsy old table, right. as long as you're not trying to mount like a 12-pound monitor, I, ooh, it's been great. It's been absolutely great. All right, Leo. Um, I made it about uh, 75% through before I figured out I didn't turn on my light. Oh, <laughs> hey, you know what? I think there's a brightness slider in Caden Live, so we're probably right, so going to I, okay. I don't know what that's going to look like, um, but I don't think it'll be terrible. Did you turn it on after the fact? Nope, never turned it on. 